Welcome to the Be Like Mike podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Jensen. In my fourth and final conversation with Sonny Vaccaro, we discuss his career after Nike. After Rob Strasser and Peter Moore had transitioned from running their own company, Sports Inc., to running Adidas North America, Vaccaro rejoined the pair. As he describes in our conversation, Vaccaro's career at Adidas was bookended by his efforts to sign two players, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. In 1986, just five years after his exit from Nike, Vaccaro was on top of the world again, as he convinced Kobe and his family, who Vaccaro had known since the 70s, to sign with Adidas. However, Vaccaro would eventually leave Adidas after the brand's leadership decided not to accept his recommendation for them to offer LeBron James $100 million, instead offering him $70 million along with a package of incentives. Here's a story in Vaccaro's own words. So five years after leaving Nike in 1996, uh, you signed Kobe Bryant for Adidas. That had to be satisfying. Well, yes, it's more than satisfying uh, because he was uh, he was a high school kid. Um, Kevin was the only one that went really went out early. The couple other kids, you know, along the way did it. But, um, you know, uh, uh, Garnett was the first one to do it, and there was no fanfare. No one paid attention to what was happening, other than to beat him up a little bit. But Kobe was a pride joy because I knew his family. There was a previous, you know, his father played my game. His bro- mother's brother played the, the Dapper Dan game. There was a baseline there for me. And I had already, you know, we've been doing like 20 years of uh, round ball by that time or 30 years, whatever heck it was. Um, so, but when I signed him to Adidas, uh, you know, that was pretty substantial. I'm not Adidas to, you know, I mean, to Adidas and not Nike. That was very substantial in my mind. Uh, then he turned out to be one of the greatest ever to play and all these sort of things. So yes, so to answer that question, that was very gratifying. And it still is, it's still, no matter, you know, the unfortunate thing, I mean, obviously his death and all that, no one can understand or explain that. But even his, you know, short term with Adidas and, you know, and, and Nike and all these sort of things, the individual things that he went through personally, and not, cannot take away what how he was as a 17-year-old child. I mean, that's what he was at that time. But then I'll, I'll erase the word, because I've said this a couple times, I erased the word child. He was a man when he came into the league. And I sort of knew that. Right, right. So in addition to being a fellow Pennsylvanian, you had some family ties there that kind of helped you develop that relationship with Kobe, you know, leading up to you know, him signing with Adidas. Yes, they both of them played for the Pennsylvania team, both in both of their families. Joe played and was the MVP for the Pennsylvania team in the 1972 Round Ball Classic. Chubby Cox, you know, his, his sister, you know, Pam, that was her, her brother. So Chubby Cox went on to have a very, very good career at, at San Francisco, and he played in the league a while. And, uh, you know, so they were there. But I hadn't seen Joe until he walked into uh, – uh, Teaneck uh, with his son and uh, you know and I, I you know he asked me he asked Gary Charles who he knew Gary was you know always had me with me for a long time and he knew him because G- Gary was running some AAU stuff at that time and uh, he asked if I he could get Kobe in I never saw Kobe play and never I never met him 
Uh, I know I knew Joe and naturally I let him in. So, you know, by the end of the week, he was the best, you know, one of the best players, definitely the best player in the underclass thing. Right. Right. And, um, you know, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, obviously two of the most competitive athletes in history, and they won 11 NBA titles between them. You know, we saw them on the court, um, but you obviously got to know both men very well off of the court. What kind of similarities did Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan share? <laughs> the same one. The one significant one is they wanted to kick your rear end every time they did anything with you, whether Michael was playing golf or Kobe was drinking, you know, Pepsi Cola or something. They were, they were mindset. You know, from the minute the, the, the day opened, I, I believe that sincerely. I mean, other people, you've heard that. I've witnessed that I, I, I spent more time with Michael, obviously, than I did with my uh, uh, Kobe. Um, but I spent a younger time with Kobe when he just got out of high school. Michael was a junior and, you know, North Carolina, as the world knows. But the competitiveness, they both had a, they both had a streak in them that was, um, that after a while became un- you know, open so you could see who they were. They were just competitors from day one, no matter who or what they were doing at that time. And uh, I sort of was able to understand that because of the personal relationship I had with them. There, there were instances during my time with both of them in an in a out of uh, context, you know, away from the court conversations we had or stuff like that, that they were just, they wanted to win the game. That's all. They wanted to be the best. Right, right. And did that, you you had a business relationship with them, obviously, as well as a personal one. Did that, did their competitiveness come over to the business side of things as well? Well, the competitiveness, you know, it's interesting because neither of them or any, no one could think that that's, that's what come over. No, that's what would come over eventually. But at the beginning of my signing, both of them, is uh, it wasn't so much that. It was just this, this, this thing they had inside them that everything was competitive. It wasn't the shoe specifically. Michael took, you know, not a brand new shoe company and, you know, and made it into something that we never thought was going to happen. He made it into a marketing company, a marketing situation. And Kobe... You know, coming now, like, you know, Michael was 84 and Kobe was like 96, I believe, so 10, 12 years later, you know, his was on the court as a high school player, as a high school player. You had to see this, you know, what it, how, however he was going to show it. But if you looked and if he would have had a longer life, he would have been thought of just like now LeBron is being still thought that way and Seth Curry, obviously, you know, a lot of the kids are doing a lot of things they never did or, or the Michael generation never knew, right, Jonathan. But Kobe would have been, you know, he, he's made a billion dollars after his death with the formation of his camps and, uh, you know, the, the writing the book and getting an Academy Award and, you know, all these things here, Kobe Bryant did with no forethought from anybody that had been around him including me that this was all inside of him toby was more of a loner than michael the loner in the sense that he 
Michael was a loner too on that court. They were both, when you say a loner from my, coming out of my mouth, you're saying someone get, didn't give a damn about anything other than winning the game. And if I had to take every shot or if I had to block up somebody and you saw that thing in the redeemed team when Kobe ran over you know, his teammate Gasol, uh, that's, that's who he was. The game became the most important thing. One of the best things I've ever was able to go through when Kobe was a, a rookie, I used to, we lived, we, Pam and I found our house. We lived in the bottom of Palisades Drive in California. And, and he lived in his family on the top. And so, you know, I was close to him in the familiar way. I spent more time with his mom and dad than I did. I spent a lot of time over the years with Michael's mom and dad, but mine was personal with Joe and them because they were so young. You know, they had the, the girls, everyone was young in the family, you know, and we had the thing. It was that famous game, uh, game six or something with the Lakers and, you know, on the hook was now somebody. And um, and Kobe played a lot, but not an awful lot in his rookie year. But he, you know, he played in the All-Star game and, you know, the rookie All-Star and all that sort of stuff. And he, he was always pretty good. And that game's the game that they got blown out or whatever. And Kobe was in a game. And he came in and took three or four shots that were off the wall. They, they weren't any, you know, you, you know hopefully your, your, your readers and your listeners will hear what I'm saying. So he missed them all terribly and they lost. And now they're coming home and his trainer used to pick him up when he wasn't traveling with them. And I call Kobe almost every road game, just on, to ride back. It was a long ride back. I mean, they were on the road for a couple of days and all that sort of stuff. And I said, what the hell happened? He said, what do you mean what happened? He said, those shots. And then he said, I don't want to say it on your program. He said, those da, 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 didn't want to take the goddamn shots. I took them. And I'll never forgot that. He, there wasn't any, now he's an 18 year old. They just lost. He had a very, very good freshman year, but that was a precursor to his competitiveness. I mean, everyone knows there was a little issue with, you know, with Shaq, like, Michael had a little issue with some of his players at the Bulls. Those guys, those type of individuals, I believe, in my experience, just being with athletes and you're watching them grow a little bit, is that's competitive. That's just that they don't give a damn. I think their minds blank out to reality of life. I mean, I just think there's no life. There's nothing there. Uh, they Just that game. So go ahead. Wow. Um so can you think of any way in which the two were different from each other? Well, yeah. Well, Michael, when he parties, he parties pretty good. I mean, he makes his own or whatever. I don't think Kobe in a short period of time, I guess it was four or five years that we were with him. I mean, he we had things for him, you know, raise money for his charity and all that sort of stuff. But, but Michael was more conscious of being, he had a group. He had a bunch of, his ex-players, his friends, his business partners, young guys that he could travel with. Kobe never had a traveling group to my, he had friends on a team or stuff like that, but it was nothing like this, nothing like this, not, nothing like Michael. Michael, Michael, you, you knew what Michael was doing and this is like in the eighties now, you know, almost before he did it, his, his love for golf, his love for gambling, his love for, you know, being competitive, putting, you know, something online. Michael just competed at everything outside the game of basketball. 
Now, inside the game of basketball, do not let your public get away with Sonny saying they, they were both people who didn't give a damn about anything except that game. One instance I had with Michael, uh, we, were in, we were traveling in Europe. Uh, it was one when we went over to, we, we traveled, my wife and I traveled to Michael and Howard Wright was with us. And uh, we, we, we went to Spain because that was the Olympic games in 92. And he put the first shovel like in 91 or 90 in the, in the ground. So we went to Spain, Germany, and, and, and Paris for these like 10, 11 days. And it was during the time of the Gulf War. And, um, and it was, you know, so we had this private plane. So we, we, we were having a great time, just the four of us. And, and then they, he was gonna play, Michael was gonna play a half again. They had, they're gonna play the army team in, uh, in Germany. And uh, they, were, they had a gym, they were a decent gym, but it was like a big time high school coach or uh, a large high school gym. I don't know, but it was just that kind of gym. But there was a couple thousand soldiers there. And so we're getting ready to the game. And I said this story, and it's again, that moment in time where something happens and everyone's playing. Michael's the idea was to play for team A half the game, team B half the game, but then sneak out before the game was over, like play a little bit and go with other and get going. Cause packed and you know, the media was there, everyone, it was packed, but there was a game plan. I never did this before and we never did it with any athletes at that time either, obviously. So um, Howard Wyke comes over to me and getting ready to stand. He says, son, you know, Michael's not around. Uh, I said, you know, he went. He said, yeah, he went to the latrine. <laughs> That's, you know, you know what you're training, right? And uh, to the bathroom. and. Um, and uh, yeah, I said, I'll get him, H. And I, I walked over and and I go into the, the train and the latrine and, uh, and there's Michael sitting on the bench, I swear to God. And he's sitting there, you know, there's brown benches, he's straddled, and he's bouncing the ball. And I said, Mike, they're waiting for it, it's time to go. He turned around with me, bounced the ball, put it in his left hand. I remember it only lasted seconds because I could I forget. And um, he said, Give me a minute, son. I'll take care of it. I'll be out. Michael Jordan was getting ready to play against the Army team. He played the first half, the whole half, the whole 20 minutes. They were losing by 15, 20 points. Let's just say 45, 30, whatever it was. But it was a, it was a good number, double figure. He changed his jersey and played for the second unit. He came back and he beat the first unit like 82 to 80. It was unbelievable. I mean, it, 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 once it got close to it, like him turning the thing around and, and winning the game, and he played the whole game. And I say to myself, and I said, then I'll say now till I die. That, ladies and gentlemen, is being a competitor. That sucker wasn't going to lose any game to anybody. And I witnessed it. Amazing. Um, so fast forward a little bit. Um... You were working on behalf of Adidas to sign LeBron James. And I read that the offer that you were expecting to make for LeBron was changed by Adidas at the last minute. Is that accurate? Absolutely. They, we were supposed to give him $100 million. I had told LeBron that I was going to give $100 million to him. When I, when I made the offer, he was still in high school. There was obviously nothing wrong there. I didn't make it. I met him after they played a game in Los Angeles on Bourbon Day. Um, that high school game was on television. I went there and I knew LeBron pretty damn well. And I knew Gloria very well and Eddie Jackson. I mean, I knew them well. 
So it wasn't like I was a stranger walking in the room. I had seen him plenty before before that game. So there was $100 million. Everybody at Adidas told me that they were giving me the $100 million. I never made a deal with Kobe or whatever. I, I, I set the prices and then they give me the money. That, that was the goal. That was what it was. Because that's basically what it was. I didn't set a number for Michael, but I encouraged them to give them the number. So it wasn't my idea. But that's what that's what the bottom line came down to at the end was quite obvious. And so we go in, we're just we, we rent a plane to fly the team out. We spent about a hundred thousand dollars to get them here that damn day. Because we got tickets to the Lakers game, the whole team. We brought the whole high school team. And we go down, we sit down, and I turn the thing around. We all those pleasantries, they had beautiful money. It was overlooking the, the ocean. It was, you know, it was probably fifty thousand dollars for the damn rented place. And um, and they opened up the lawyers, and the sucker said seventy thousand dollars plus bonuses, a year, a year. And that's all I needed. And the game was over then. They didn't do it. I I never forgot. I went and talked to um, to, to Gloria and LeBron, um, and I told them, I don't don't tell Nike what happened. You go there, you get the best deal in the world. Don't tell them because they'll just give you less or whatever, or yeah, a little bit more. And um, by the time Pam and I left, history knows this, I, we, we lived in Santa Monica. At that time, we, then we moved to Calabasas. So we were going up over the hill. We were uh, out near Pepperdine. And we were driving up the hill to go to Calabasas in Los Angeles there. And halfway up the, the, the hill, I told Pam, you know what I'm going to do? And she said, yeah, son, you're going to quit, aren't you? And I said, yep. So yeah, that's what happened. They, they lied. And the irony of that story, and I know you'll catch it, but let me say it here so you, I'll remind you. The irony of that story is Adidas screwed up two times. <laughs> they lost them to Nike. Then, you know, then, then like, not Adidas, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, you know, Adidas, because it was LeBron, he was coming, okay? He was gonna go with me. I honestly believe, I know we'd had a hell of a ch better chance. It'd been a different, a different argument if we'd have put the hundred million. Because that contract that he signed with them wasn't the hundred million. It wasn't the cash money. And those they had their own thing. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't have. I think Phil Knight would have gone over the hundred million or whatever. But however it turned out, I honestly believe that it was no less than 50-50 because of the personal relationship. No left. That doesn't mean they wouldn't have gone, and they did, they obviously cho chose wise, and and well, he could have chose my and your shoe, I think, and created it was it was much easier after because you do remember that McGrady came right after Kobe, and McGrady was lost. McGrady actually was very successful selling shoe for Adidas. I mean, he had the team act, and and so we had a group of kids who now. We're selling shoes, you know, that no one ever did it until Michael Jordan came along. That's that's sort of what my my out of my life experience is, is experienced here. How it changed the marketing, how it changed in our sport, basketball, mostly for black athletes. And it, they'll have other guys. There'll be a, you know, Victor might be another guy that does these sort of things. There'll always be another guy that's supposed to be. No one can ever again be Michael Jordan in selling the shoes. Nobody. 
that shoe's going to sell until, until we burn his country up, his world up. So LeBron had worn Adidas in high school. Did, did the Adidas folks give you a reason why they, they changed that offer? I know they had put in some incentives, but did they ever explain their rationale? Yeah, they didn't believe me. <laughs> I, no, they, it wasn't that. I, I'm a different person. I mean, I, I'll never forget. It. It's a very honest question. Remember, I left. Then I knew I was leaving, and I sort of told him I was leaving right after, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the All-Star game and all that stuff. I mean, the next year I had to go through whatever I had to go through, and it was over. All my commitment, and that was it. I mean, so they never did. They, they didn't know. I mean, it wasn't like, there was no explanation. I mean, uh, that's a good question, but it's a, it's a mute question. It doesn't mean anything. They, they shouldn't have had to explain that they wouldn't have lied. So after Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, now LeBron James is the all-time leading scorer in the history of the NBA. So I guess you proved him right again. Well, I like to think, um, you know, we had some other pretty good days in there. Also, if you're, if they can't, you don't have to only count the greatest to ever play. But I think, I think the group of kids that I was involved with over the years, you know, whatever company they were with, and or I watched the evolution of greatness in athletes because the game basically changed. That's why it's very hard for the purists. They they want to get a goat guy here. Um, see, I don't think there can be a goat because I think an athlete is limited to the time period he's playing in. I can't believe I'm watching a little bit of the, the world thing every night and just trying to, because I didn't know him that well. And uh, I don't know how, how much better you could have been. I mean, then you, then you watch, you know, you know, the different guys at the different positions. But so we started to watch where the guard was the guy who handled the ball, the koozies of the world. There was always this guard, this little guard. Well, they're still little guards, but they're not little anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, they're not little. Victor, seven feet four. I mean, but my, my now it's being funny now, but my my point to you is, the evolution of the game has been unbelievable. You, I mean, basketball, in the in my view, right now, sitting here in the office, uh, is to me. You have to, you you you. I don't want to say blind, but I I, I think there are so many ways that the kids have opportunities to be seen how good they are in basketball more than any other sport in the world they start at like five years old and you know we're looking at the birth birth rights now i mean uh, you know brawny sort of started the birthright thing but there are a lot of birthright guys if you go through history in a world that first didn't allow a lot of blacks in at all a lot of these gentlemen over the years had pretty goddamn good sons <laughs> that played and you know and, and, and Seth Curry's family's been unreal. You know, there's only what three of them to talk about, right? And they did pretty good. I mean, uh, so, but a lot of them. And, and uh, but basketball is so much better. The game is so much better. And all the non-believers, you know, they talk about it's fast. It's the three-point shot. Well, that's what it was. There was no dunk shot either. Do we understand that? I mean, you know. There, there's been a there's been a start and a stop to every generation. I mean, the game has changed, and that's why I think it's the best game in the world when they play, when they play hard and they they're playing in the 
playoffs. You know, I think the other part of the season is moot in my mind. Not that these kids aren't trying. It's just that, you know, there's a lot of breaks now. In the old days, you, and I hate to say that, a long time ago, you played all 64 games or 72 games, 82 games. You played all the games. You played every, because you loved basketball and you played them. But right now, the value of a game, the value of a career, you know, we got the new generational, you know, you know, money. I mean, we have things now that we're talking about in a, this this last decade where the players are buying teams and I hope they buy, buy more teams. I mean, the, the players are being involved. The players, you know, LeBron's got the biggest agency in the world. I mean, that was, that, that uh, agents were, you know, very few and far between and mostly white controlled and a, a small group over years when, when this all began. But, you know, and, and they do a great job. They do a great job. I mean, you know, and then the, the other subject I want to talk about, I, I've watched so much of this that it's uh, a blessing, you know, and then you sit here and you see all the problems uh, surrounding everything and, you know, and you sometimes get mad, but what do you get mad about? But the game is great and, uh, and it's interesting. Go ahead, your next question. So when were you contacted to serve as a consultant on the movie? Was that by Alex, the screenwriter, or was that after uh, Matt and Ben got involved uh, in purchasing those rights? It was by Mandalay Bay. John Weinbach uh, called me first. John, John produced the, the documentary I was on, uh, Soul Man. And I got to know him because Soul Man took seven years, I think, or six years to make. We waited for the Urbana case. And uh, I got to know him really well over that time. And, um, and I had no idea it was known. I never met Alex, but Alex worked there during that time, but I never saw him. He was hired out of college as a, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call the guys comes up for a while out of college. And, uh, and then he was, uh, you know, being paid and all that stuff. And his job at that time was um, to edit all the scenes so they can put them in order of showman. So he had, that was one of his jobs and it, it, and we, it lasted long. So it wasn't like every day, like seven years, of, you know, would, would work and then all of a sudden come back because O'Vannon took so long. And so he, I never met him the whole time he was there. And, um, and then he, then they asked me to do um, uh, the last dance, you know, and I wasn't going to do it because I've had problems with, with, you know, some of the things that were being said. And I said, you know, that you're not going to use this. And they asked me and, you know, and then I, and John Weinbach came. John was part of The Last Dance, but he wasn't the, the boss. And he said, Sonny, he says, uh, you know, we're going to interview. You're going to get three, you know, you're gonna, we're going to send people up to your house. We, Pam and I didn't travel to do interviews for like three or four years because of COVID. And um, they drove 140 miles. They brought up eight uh, people from, you know, the film, the audio. I mean, they brought a whole damn, they spent $50,000 coming up that day with all the personnel they had and all that stuff. Not that much, but. So I said I'd do it because of John Weinbog and because Mandalay Bay treated me really well. And I knew who Peter Goober was. And, and they did, I did three and a half hours of conversation. Well, you know, there's three and a half seconds of conversation with me and, well, that was the straw that broke the back with me, and uh, and I never got over it. But 
than you do. But no, I never get over that. You know, they lied to me. And um, so they, John called me and said, there's a project going on here and Peter Goober's going to be involved and we would like to, you to be involved with it and that's something to do with Michael Jordan. That's all he told me. So I had never met. So they asked Pam and I to come down and visit them. And we drove and it was the, it was the weekend of the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. And we, so there, you know, I remember because the, the rooms were so expensive, we stayed, you know, 50 miles out of, not 50, close to a long way. We stayed in Calabasas, uh, ironically, to, um, to go down to see, you know, Peter at Beverly Hills the next day at his home. And they, they brought me uh, in and they were telling me about this movie, about this young person who wrote a script named Alice Convoy, who I never met. I never met anybody in that office. I had met Peter one other time in 91 and 92 on another reason. Um, and it's about Michael Jordan and this guy over here wrote it. And he said, we'd like you to be a consultant. Uh, you don't have anything to do with the script. I never saw the script until after. You had nothing to do with the, the personnel being picked. You know, you may, may or may not agree with some of them and I didn't. But I had nothing to do with that. But they wanted me to make sure the character of Sonny Vaccaro, whoever was down, and Matt and Ben had not signed on yet. They were waiting for a lot of things. So I didn't know it was going to be Matt or Ben, or, but obviously, well, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think that big, to be honest with you. But they weren't on, on wall then. And, um, and they said, we just want to make sure story is right now. In the conversation, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not a novice. A movie is not a documentary. You know, a movie is not a documentary. You know, The Last Dance was a movie also because that wasn't a documentary because they left out parts of the documentary that were supposed to be left in. My point here is I looked around. Mr. Goober is one of the most successful guys in the world. I mean, he asked us to be part of it. He explained what the ground rules were. You know, and that's what they were. And Pam and I went home and discussed it a while. And then we said, let's go for it. They're good people. I had no idea. I, I didn't see the movie at this point. I didn't see anything. But once we signed, the first thing I did was right after that, uh, young Alex drove up to Palm Springs here. Uh, we live in this golf course in the Western Hotels, right, right about 100 yards off, like on the ninth green or whatever I can call that. And um, we spent three or four hours with him having lunch and him talking to me for the first time in his life. He knew who I was because he was this young kid. And, um, and we did that. Then Matt got me on the phone. We did one of these Zoom things for, you know, 90 minutes minimum. Um, then we stayed in touch. John Weinwald called me a lot to ask me a lot about some gambling phrase. And they, I was totally involved in what was happening around my character. There, there's no question. I never met Viola personally until the premiere, but I met everybody else because Mr. Goober brought us down. We spent a whole day with him watching him shoot different scenes, which was unbelievable. This was, you know, repeat, repeat, you know, let's do it again. You know, just like I do. We weren't obviously inside the room with our filming. We were in this other room where about six, 15, 20 people, you know, working with the cast and then other ones standing in the back. So we actually saw two of the three scenes you saw on that screen that really were good. We were there live for the, the Falk 
uh, Vaccaro swearing match. <laughs> you know, so the, the, so they we were treated unbelievable, and it was a, a great movie, and uh, and it's been unbelievably, you know, successful. Uh, you know, and it's still showing on. Amazon. Uh, I still do a lot of interviews for Am. I, I I made connection with Amazon. They, I think I've done seventy five or eighty worldwide interviews since before the you know right right when we started down there. They got me going over, and I love it. I love it. as you know. I love to talk. You just turn me on, and I start talking. So, but that it, it's been an unbelievable experience. Unbelievable. That had to be a little surreal sitting in the other room watching a, an Academy yeah. Award winner, you know, playing Sonny, Sonny Vaccaro. Yeah, it was. And I, I watched uh, Good Will Hunting again last night. And I, I told Pam, I've watched, I, I, I love gambling. I loved when they did, uh, you know, uh, the, the gambling mover uh, with, with Matt and um, Rounders. Rounders, right. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about, I don't know, motion movie, but the movie he gave in, or the the speech he gave in uh, uh, Goodwill Hunting to um, you know with the you know the, in, in a speech where he always gives those speeches every movie in the world he, you know when he did the Rounders he did it to uh, you know for, for, uh, the, the guy who played in Russian the great uh, what the heck anyway Rounders John Malkovich yeah Malkovich so, but he has those in all even some of the ones in you know. All the other, the Patrick, or, uh, Private Ryan, and I've watched all of them. So last night I'm watching that scene again in uh, Robin Williams, and I'm saying, damn, he's good. So when he gave Mrs. Jordan the thing that we're just regular people, you and I, we just gonna know this thing. Boy, he was good. <laughs> Boy, I, I like to talk, and you know that, and all, you, all you guys know that I do, and I do pretty well. The kids seem to like me, I've been doing it for a while. You know, I just talked like this, but I'm listening to him. I'm listening to him. I said, damn, damn, I I'm pretty good. But I, I, I couldn't have put those stringer boards together in one sentence because as you're seeing right here, I jump off a sentence and come back and remember what I said. But um, it was an experience you, you can't forget. And, and these guys were really brilliant and they're professionals. And now he's doing Oppenheimer. He went, he went from a guy who was telling Oppenheimer not to do it or do it to a guy that like told some guy to, hey, you ought to sign this guy. Pretty consequential, isn't it? One was going to end the world, and the other one was going to make a, the company the biggest company in the world. Boy, that's interesting. That was my character. <laughs> yeah, from Sonny Vaccaro to you know a a general Leslie Groves. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so I heard that one of the things that you provide insight with them on was the wardrobe that they kind of just assume, yeah. oh, everybody was wearing Nikes. And you said, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You know, I didn't wear Nikes. I was just wearing, you know, brown leather loafers. Is that true? Absolutely true. And the same. In fact, the shirt that he came on in the first or second scene when he saw Pam, Pammy uh, at the at the premiere, his wife had said, that's an ugliest shirt, and you know, you got this damn shirt, whatever. And Pam said, you could have taken that out of our closet. She says, no, they were really, that, that was me. I, I was not, you know, I was not David Falk or any of these. I mean, if it wasn't that, it was a sweatsuit and, and shoes or whatever. That's who I've been for an awful long time. Now, when I make these speeches, now she, and if we were doing live on, on you were getting my film now, I'd, I'd have a nice you know, shirt on and all that sort of stuff. But my, my point is that was me. That, 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 that 
was pretty close to. In fact, I think I do have that orange one <laughs> still yet. <laughs> were there were there any other things that that they changed in the movie based on your your feedback? Well, you know, I, I don't know. No, they're not new. I, they changed, and the the thing is, the things that were said were eventually said maybe in different circumstances, and they got that way. You know, the, the one thing constant, you know, that everyone, you know, just th that I even like to say is during the course of doing all this, you know, three, it was only three and a half months, as you know, that, that time period. I didn't know I was doing it. The first meeting was absolutely true. Those words were said, uh, you know, the, the, when I said, uh, Michael, you know, the, I said first, give it to the kid who, the kid from North Carolina, who that Michael Jordan. That's the way the words come out of my mouth. If in any other, you know, whether you want to believe it or your audience or whoever, however you're transferring this, is if I would have been thinking of Michael Jordan, I didn't know what the questions were. See, I, I went up there, they were going to talk about, I had no idea this kind of thing, that we were going to bet a lot of money on one or two people. They just said they're going to make, they're going to do draft. They're like my opinion. That's all. So I said it that way, just because subconsciously I've been thinking of Jordan. You know, why would I just say give it to Michael Jordan? You know, but I said give it to the kid, give it to the kid from North. What? what? And they someone said, what, what? What kid? They're all kids. You know, give it to the kid from North Carolina, Michael Jordan. That is the way it happened. Almost like now they transfer that that way into if you um, go back to me talking to Peter Moore on. Um, the, the Air Jordan, whatever you know, when you're when you're saying and all that sort of stuff, that that thing really happened to Peter Moore and and the, the uh, uh, Falk. They they owned. It wasn't like I had come up with Air Jordan. You know that that was the whole thing there. But the the fun part about that was that you know we did say it wasn't me though. Rob Schausser said it. He said uh, you know well he swore. And then he said, we'll just tell him Peter did the whole thing, you know, because so, there is, there has, and, and David did think of that term somewhere along. So, I mean, so, but then all those other things, uh, you know, the truth eventually was, was what it was at the end. And, um, and I really got to know Mr. and Mrs. Jordan, obviously quite better after that. I didn't, I never met Michael until, you know, I met him at Tony Romas. I, I told other people, and maybe this will interest your audience, that I really didn't give a damn about Michael Jordan or Dean Smith or, you know, North Carolina for the shoes. First of all, I was at the game. I was physically there at that game, you know, and I was here with John Thompson and the three kids on the team, Patrick and the two other kids, uh, Martin and forget, you know, whatever. I had a Georgetown kid in the round ball classic every year. John was one of my best friends in life. And we... We were killed. The reason that we were a billion dollar company is at that time is, is what is because the college program getting all the college teams in the shoe was our moneymaker. They didn't know any of the pros. That's why we had to get a pro. They had great pros, but they didn't know what the hell to do with them. And that wasn't a good time. That speech you heard at the beginning when, uh, you know, there was drugs, there was a tape delays that happened. You know that. And that, that was said. I really had, and I was the outlier out there. I was the guy, I, I didn't live there, first of all. I didn't go, I didn't live and go to the 7-Eleven every night for my dinner. I mean, Pam and I had just gotten married. We were living in 
Las Vegas and uh, part-time. Uh, then we moved to Santa Monica, California after we got married. And so, and that's when we got married in 84. And uh, so these things, the movie was, there are no lies. That's, I mean, I mean, no blatant lies. You know, Mrs. Jordan on her last speech was a great speech. There was no question. And her speech, you know, to me, it was a great speech. But she wouldn't have been as prepared as, you know, you know, my God, she did, you know, did, Viola did an unbelievable job. But she did say, and the reason she was protecting, even in the last conversations, Sonny, he got to get a piece of the shoe. Sonny, you got to get a piece of the shoe. That's, that happened, not in that format, but that, that was relayed. And if you look, when we first, when I first went in and I was apologetic and I thought we didn't get him with, and Phil was there, and if, you know, as you know, I don't, you know, I haven't seen Phil in 20, 25 years since Cotton Fitzsimmons died. Um, I, uh, he, he wasn't always for it, and until the end, but he did do it. So he did do it. There is no Sonny Vaccaro. There is no Jordan. If, if Phil would have done it, we wouldn't have had it. I mean, I didn't have a vote in that. It was right. a very interesting day. In history, but marketing marketing is what that movie business is a business movie. I mean, it really was and is. So obviously, there's some things in the uh, in the movie that they were forced to change, but that you know were not exactly historically accurate. For example, you know Phil Knight, Rob Strasser, and Peter Moore never worked in the same building together. But that's one of those things you could just see. Well, it makes sense for a movie. You know, you can't be running between buildings. But similarly, as you mentioned, you know, you never lived in Oregon. Is that were there any other things like that that you said, guys? You know, I never lived in the state of Oregon. You know, uh, you might want to change that, or is it just kind of? It was an understanding. Hey, this is not a documentary. It's a movie. Just go with it. I always knew those words because they told me those words. So let me tell you this. I didn't know I was with the 7-Eleven kid until I watched the movie. So I'm telling you, there's, that's, I'm glad you asked that because I know I ever asked. That's the way I, I could just answer. I never knew it until they showed me the movie. And it was too late then. It was done. So I had, I had no say in where I lived. Even like that last scene, I loved the last scene where I didn't run around the track because everybody in the world knew I wasn't going to run around the track. That was a great ending, but I didn't know that was in there. So those things, you know, they were, you know, embellished, obviously, but they, they had to make sense into what it was. And, and Ben, when he had the idea that if they showed Michael's face one time, the game, because everybody, they'd all go, then that bitch and moan that they didn't see him. They'll just, oh, we didn't see the game. Why didn't they have the dunk contest? Right? Well, this wasn't a dunk contest yet. There was no contest. So, but it was, it was fun. It was just great. Yeah. Obviously there's some things that they took creative license with, but they're creative people, right? They ran with it. Was yeah. there anything else that you, that you said, Hey, you know, this isn't right. And they just said, well, you know, it is what it is or. No, I, no, it didn't, you know, I'm not, I, I think of anything. I mean, I, you know, well, my mother didn't die early, but it fit into the screen. She didn't die that young. She passed away, but she wasn't dead at that moment there. But that was because the scene dictated that because if you see what Viola said, it had to be compassion for me. Uh, you know, that was, that was what it was. But there was nothing, 
outlandish. I mean, the meetings, and you know what? At one time, they were all, you know, night and then we're all in the same building. They weren't the same building after that. And Peter, I mean, you're right about that. I, you know, they had their own offices. Uh, they're sort of, you know, Peter and, and Rob, um, especially Peter. P Peter, Peter's really, you know, I think I to me, one of the great things that happened the, when they showed the, the boards at the end, the card or whatever they call the thing, when they acknowledged him with, with the shoe. That, that's forever. You, you can't change it. You can't change it. I mean, that's that was he did it for life and he'll be remembered iconically. And he should one of the great shots in all sports is that shoe. Right. The logo, logo, the logo. Right. So about 15 years ago, you know, he got involved with Ed O'Bannon and the athlete rights. Uh, lawsuit related to the athlete's images being used in the video game. And earlier this year, when it was announced that EA would be paying athletes for the use of their images, you said it was one of the happiest days of your life. Why? Well, they robbed them for a hundred years. And I think that was to me, even though they're, they're still fighting, uh, that to me was the significant thing I said about, because Eddie did have the proof there, the, I was connecting that to the NCAA because I believe, and I continue to say, and hopefully pretty soon, I'll be, saying, be talking some more about this, the whole thing. The NCAA, I made a statement and I got laughed at by some of the biggest, and they should have laughed at me. And I, I'm not, you know, I said, one of the worst organizations, most whatever hell organization in the world, you know, was the NCAA. I never went back on that because Jonathan, if everyone's honest with this, if everyone's honest, just forget everything else, forget whether you like them, whether they're getting, they're getting too much or this and all that crap. They imposed a penalty on individuals that they had no idea about because of, we followed the English. The English created that word amateurism. By doing that, they kept all the, whatever the peasants were, black, green, yellow, or white, were not rich or not kings and queens in it in uh, in England 100 years ago 150 years ago I mean and they they purposely put that term in there and they said amateurism to give some sort of release to a man to a woman by saying you're an amateur like that's something that's that's like you're a saint like God made you a saint now you you're always a saint. Well, I don't know how in the hell anybody could say you're an amateur, you're a student athlete. They created these these things that were really marketable, and they stuck, and they stuck. And every time I put my nose in it, that beat my butt up, beat my butt up. And to be honest with you, Dickie Dickie Davinzio kid went to Duke. I knew Dickie very, 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 very well. He's a Pittsburgh kid. He was the most valuable player in my Dapper Dan in 70, uh, 66. His daddy coached the team. I knew him well. I talked to him two weeks before he died. So he, I kept the relationship with Dickie and his brother. And he told me what he wanted to do. You know, give him $50, have him cash a check or something. I have I actually had the letters, Jonathan. But, but the NCAA was the one that caused all this and all the all the the backers and i thought they robbed these kids and i really thought 
they destroyed an opportunity that should have been given a long time ago to minority athletes, specifically saying black athletes, especially in the game that I'm talking about. I watched this evolution for a long time. I am, I am a rebel with a cause. Unconsciously, that's who I've been. I, I didn't, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. But you can say all those, I'm yes, he's that, or he's that. You, you can, you know, all kind of things. I never gave a damn about what people said. I only gave a damn about what I could do. And I saw what was happening because of the Dapper Dam, because I got, you know, all of a sudden I went from being someone who had nothing to do with basketball, nothing to be put in a position where I had everything to do with it. I'm probably the only man that's actively involved that knew Walter Byers this well. I knew him because his outfit tried to incarcerate me also. Uh, I've watched what they've done by choice. And I've watched the schools and I, I watched the presidents. And then we had athletic directors, you know, then we have commissioners. We have a layer of people, 99% white probably, not that that's bad or these people aren't smart. It was wrong. Now, when you sit there and say, well, here's Senator Kerry, it's easy to say these things, 2023. It wasn't easy to say these things in 19, whatever I said those things. Okay, because I've been saying them a long time. So yeah, this, this is a fight that you've been waging for 15 years. I mean, do you think your role in athletes gaining the rights to their name, image, and likeness is going to be your legacy? I pray that that is. I can't, I can't create my own legacy, Jonathan, but uh, I, I pray. I told Pammy this after the movie, and, uh, and when they put it up there, I didn't know John put it up, whoever did, I managed John Weinbach. It was very nice. Eddie, Eddie O'Bannon and his wife were my guests. I had six tickets to the premiere, and I took Mick Cronin and his girlfriend and Eddie O'Bannon and his wife. I know Mick since he was a child, and I couldn't bring all the coaches, but I knew him since he was 19 years old. And he's coaching UCLA, and, and I, I brought Eddie with me and his wife. But that that that's yes, that's that's I was I was, you know, when they when we were, when we were in court for this, they deposed me for like the whole day. I mean, they asked you questions, ladies and gentlemen. You don't really want to be cross-examined or deposed or what all that stuff. But you got to answer the questions. Sometimes their questions are horrible and they're not right, but they're allowed to ask them. So that's all the further I want to go in there. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I pray that I pray that I, I do. I too that I, hopefully that they said, well, there was a guy, you know, just thought that this is wrong. And, you know, I, I got to be very honest. I, I don't have, you know, Pam and I aren't as social. Like we, we're not, we don't travel to the world unless we were working and all that sort of stuff. We, you know, within our family and all that sort of stuff. But th those things never they were never part of, um, you know, that period of my life. I mean, fighting the f good fight. And I had done some other things, Jonathan, I'm proud of too, that, you know, that the world doesn't know about, but I'm going to make it all public pretty soon. I pray to God. So, you know, years from now, when people like me are lecturing to students, uh, you know, we're telling them about, you know, Mark McCormick, Pete Rosell, Peter Uberoff, David Stern, 
Yeah. And I talk about, you know, Sonny Vaccaro. What is it that, you know, you hope that people like me say about you and your, your career and your impact on sport business? That, that's, that, you know, that's a hard one because if I say the obvious thing, then it's like braggadocio, but I'll say this. Okay. And I appreciate what you said. And other people have asked me something like that. If that's how I'm remembered by people like you and people who don't have an opportunity, you know, to make statements out loud that just knew me or maybe a kid or a son of a kid or, or something that didn't go right for somebody and maybe Pam and I stepped in. But I'll tell you what, then you know what? The kid from Trafford, the Italian immigrants, you know, the family, the background, damn, it's been a hell of a ride. So I would be, the, the other stuff, the other stuff, Tracy and Kobe and LeBron and Michael, they all lived their lives separate of me after we got involved. I'm still, in, I, I probably the closest kid I, I stay in touch with over all these years. And I talked to a lot of them, especially after the movie. A lot of the guys just out of nowhere, you know, resurfaced. And, you know, but Tracy, because his journey was a hell of a lot different than a lot of them. Like, I think, you know, I think uh, he'll, I'll ask <laughs> He'll be at my funeral. I'll just say that. But I'm saying to you, that would be unbelievably beautiful. And the good thing about it, Jonathan, it's not because I'm going to be here to thank them when they're doing it. What will be done is they're going to be here. Other people are going to be here that people like you or people like that said it. And then some kid may go read it or watch the movie or read this, whatever heck I did or did not do and say, it's not that hard. Just Take five minutes and see what you can do. See if you can help the guy across the street. Sort of embellishing, but I'm just trying to give you an example. That would be important, much more important than signing Michael. But I'll tell you what, if I wouldn't have signed Michael, I never, I would think I might never have had the opportunity to, to end it out with Oban. You understand that? Michael opened every door. There's no question about it. And I've never denied it. I didn't make him great. I didn't make him sell hundred billion. All I, all I did and said was, I believe he was capable of something very, very unbelievable. And I said this, and they, they can't erase it, Jonathan. I did bet my job on it. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I grew, like Mike, if I could be like